You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Have you ever said those words, usually followed with a sigh? In 1981, a movie production company known as Amblin Productions contacted the Mars company and offered a simple cross-promotional opportunity. They would use M&Ms in their new film, giving the Mars company free publicity, and in return, Amblin Productions could promote this new film on M&M packaging sold in stores. However, for reasons unknown, the advertising and marketing uh, folks at Mars said, hey, no thanks. So Amblin Productions went to the Hershey Food Corporation and offered the same deal to the not nearly as well-known competitor at the time, Reese's Pieces. So the movie opened on June 11th, 1982, and it was directed by Steven Spielberg. And E.T., the extraterrestrial, went on to gross nearly $800 million worldwide. Now, I'm not sure exactly why the Mars company passed on the opportunity, but for whatever reason, I'm sure it seemed like a good idea at the time. And so within two weeks of the movie's premiere, Reese's Pieces sales went through the roof. In fact, sales went up 65% in the months following the opening of the film. Up until then, Reese's Pieces was the underdog, barely known by the U.S. candy-consuming public. But now they were suddenly being consumed in great handfuls, and all thanks to a shy little alien lured from the bushes and into America's hearts by a trail of peanut butter candies in a crunchy shell. So the, the Mars no paved the way for the Hershey's yes. Mars came to this fork in the road where they could be part of this movie or not, and they passed on the opportunity. Now, I think we can all relate to that, right? We've all made decisions that we later regret. Uh, Sometimes we make good decisions in life, but sometimes we look back and we see that we missed out on something that could have been amazing. But what caused those decisions to be the ones that we want to change? You have decisions to make right now too, right? We all do. And we want to make right decisions. But what does God say? Well, the book of James shows us how to make decisions from God's perspective. And it all comes down to the kind of wisdom we use in making those decisions. Today, we're going to see that wisdom forms our decisions that determines our destiny. Wisdom forms our decisions that determines our destiny. Right? We all want to make wise decisions, don't we? And James lays out here the basic principles that contrast two types of wisdom. And choosing the right kind of wisdom is what determines the destiny of our lives. So in James 3, verses 13 through 18, we see this call to wisdom, and then we see examples of man's wisdom and then God's wisdom. And James makes the point that wisdom is necessary uh, for a solid life foundation. And it's not the wisdom of the world, but rather it's the wisdom that comes from God alone. 
And so let's dig in. Let's look at James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. And it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let's dig in to this text together today. First, we're going to see in verse 13, point number one. And point number one is a call to wisdom. A call to wisdom. Now, last week we began chapter three of James with a look at warnings concerning the things that we say. Uh, we learned that we don't have so much a mouth problem as we have a heart problem. Our tongue reflects our heart and our speech demonstrates the inner quality of our lives. Now, James addresses that inner reality again as he presents the dramatic contrast between man's wisdom and godly wisdom, between false wisdom and true wisdom, between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And so this theme of what truly is in our hearts and what truly is our heart condition continues in this section as James begins with a direct question. Let's take a look in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Right, and there's two key words here, wise and understanding. And the implication is that not everyone has wisdom and understanding. So wise here refers to someone with moral insight uh, and skill in deciding practical issues of life. Understanding means a specialist or a professional who could skillfully apply his expertise to practical situations. Someone with uh, the knowledge of an expert having experience and knowledge and ability. So wisdom consists of having insight and expertise in order to draw conclusions that are correct. And James is asking, who is truly skilled in the art of living? A wise and understanding person demonstrates it by what they say and do. But let's stop there for a second. Um, do we want to be a person who is truly skilled in the art of living? Uh, do you want to make good, practical decisions in your life? I think we all do, right? And so this passage is critically important to us in our lives today. James here continues about this wise and understanding person, continuing in verse 13, where he says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So how do wise and understanding people act? Well, they show proof that they possess wisdom and understanding, and they show the presence of wisdom by good deeds in meekness. Uh, and I think it's important that we remember to not confuse meekness with weakness. Right? Notice the phrase here, in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness really is the opposite of arrogance and, and self-promotion. It's not something that can be manufactured by man. False humility is, is only a counterfeit. So the meek person does not selfishly assert themselves. Meekness is the right use of power. Meekness is power under control. It's, it's like when you're slowly taxiing down the runway in a jet while getting in line for takeoff. Have you ever been there? You know the jet is about to take off and go over 30,000 feet in the air, over 500 miles an hour. But it's using power the right way. There's this incredible power but it's under control. And like we saw last week in verses 1 through 12, it's not just mere talk, 
but rather obedient deeds that prove the presence of wisdom in our lives. Remember, we've seen in past weeks that good works do not save us, but rather good works help explain our lives once we know Jesus. And so those who are wise and understanding, they're not boastful, um, they're not prideful, they're meek. They have power under control. That's meekness. You know, the wise person with meekness, they're not a doormat for others, but they know how to control and conquer that natural human tendency to be arrogant and to be self-reliant. A person with this kind of wise meekness, they relate to God with dependence uh, and, and they don't trust in themselves. Does that describe you? Would you say that if you ask maybe the people closest to you, that they would say that describes you? Right? We all want this, but how do we get it? I think that's the main question. And so next, we're going to see James describe uh, the first, first of all, the wrong way of wisdom, and then he's going to contrast that with the right way of wisdom. All right, so let's continue here. Uh, first, we're going to see this wrong way of wisdom in point number two, in verses 14 through 16. So we see this wrong way of wisdom. Let's look in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now this, I think, could be called false wisdom or, or man's wisdom, and it's in contrast to the true wisdom or the godly wisdom that we're going to see in just a moment. But if you really look at it, it's not wisdom at all, is it? You see, the logic sort of runs this way. I'm going to have to look out for myself. If I don't do it, nobody else will. And I'm going to make sure that I get what I think I deserve. And what we're going to see over these next few verses, these next few moments, is that we're going to see the, fo the, really the, the folly in this type of, of wisdom. It's not really true wisdom at all. Look what it says again in verse 14. It shows us that there's three ways to recognize man's wisdom. Verse 14 says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So what are the three ways that we can recognize when there's man's wisdom present? Well, look, it's in verse 14. First of all, we can recognize man's wisdom because of its attitude. Its attitude of bitter jealousy. And here the word uh, for bitter describes undrinkable water. And when it's combined with jealousy, it defines a harsh, resentful attitude towards others. It's when a person dislikes the good fortune or blessings of other people. It's this determined desire to promote yourself over other people. It's this idea that we have to push others down in order to push ourselves up. Right? In jealousy, this kind of bitter jealousy is really the opposite of grace. It wants to take rather than to give. So that's the first way we can recognize man's wisdom because of its, its attitude, an attitude of bitter jealousy. Secondly, uh, we can recognize man's wisdom because of its selfish ambition. When a person tries to promote a cause in an unethical way, even willing to use divisive means and, and manipulation to promote their selfish agenda, that's selfish ambition. It's this type of false wisdom that's uh, it's consumed with personal ambition, and it's not from God. The word used here uh, by the Greeks was used to describe politicians canvassing for votes, advancing only their own glory, their own pride, their own ambition. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 that Jesus set a different kind of example. 
It says there in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And here in verse 14, we also recognize man's wisdom because of its arrogance. It will boast and it will be false to the truth. You see, pride loves to boast, and nothing is, is prouder and more arrogant than man's wisdom. Boasting is based on the premise, listen to this, of comparing ourselves with others, putting them down in order to elevate ourselves. And that, not surprisingly, leads to deceit and lying, being false to the truth. And so James warns that people with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition end up ultimately boasting about it and denying the truth. Because when you boast about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, you contradict the truth and you're lacking godly wisdom. You're living a lie. You see, when God's wisdom is at work, there's a sense of humility, there's a sense of submission, and you want God to get all the glory, not yourself. So we see those three ways to recognize man's wisdom. And then James here quickly moves to three characteristics of this worldly wisdom that doesn't come from above. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And this verse here uses three words to describe these distinctive traits that are the source of false worldly wisdom. It originates with man and not God. Listen to it this way. The, the best insight that the world can offer is defined here by James as earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And you kind of sense the, you feel the grip tightening with these three, don't you? So let's look at these three characteristics of man wisdom, man's wisdom. Again, firstly, first, it's earthly in verse 15. It's earthly. This false wisdom does not come down from God above, but rather its source is from the earth. It's limited to the earth. It belongs to the way of life of this world. And it's in contrast with what originates from God in heaven. Not only is it earthly, it's also unspiritual, secondly. This false wisdom is not spiritual. Instead, it belongs to the natural world and not to God. It's characterized by humanness and an unredeemed heart. And it lacks the ability to, to examine spiritual things. You feel that tightening a little bit? And thirdly, it's demonic, right? This false wisdom is ultimately from the devil. It's generated by Satan's forces and not God's. You see, Satan uses it to corrupt people and relationships. And the wisdom of this world belongs to our old life, our life before we knew Jesus. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 3 when Satan uh, tempts mankind, some of the lies that he uses? Uh, see Genesis 3 and verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, this is describing man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. And James describes the consequences of man's wisdom in verse 16 and the fallout that we have seen really since the Garden of Eden. So let's take a look at verse 16. We see the consequences of man's wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. The direct result of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is disorder and every vile practice. So what do you mean by disorder? Well, disorder is, is the confusion that results from the instability and chaos of man's wisdom. Right? Instead of bringing people together, man's wisdom drives them apart towards disorder. And instead of peace, it produces strife. Instead of fellowship, it produces broken relationships. That's ultimately what man's wisdom leads to. 
And secondly, it leads to every vile practice. This false wisdom, this, this worldly wisdom, man's wisdom, leads to every worthless or vile work. Right? No good can come from it as a result. Man's wisdom ultimately comes to nothing. It's, it's without value. People who cater to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition do not produce good fruit in their lives. You know, there's this vine in the South, and it's known as the kudzu, and it's originally native to Asia. And it was first introduced to the United States as an ornamental plant to help shade porches. It has high protein content, and it was used uh, originally to feed cattle, as well as ground cover to help prevent erosion. But the climate and environment of the southeastern United States allowed it to grow unchecked. And in 1953, the United States Department of Agriculture, Agriculture removed the kudzu from a list of suggested cover plants and listed it as a weed in 1970. Downgraded to a weed. You thought you've had bad days. I've never been downgraded to a weed before, but that's what happened with the kudzu. Listen, by 1997, it was placed on the federal noxious weed list. Today, it's estimated that it covers, listen to this, 7.4 million acres of land in the United States. This invasive plant species, it spreads faster than herbicides and mowing can slow it down. It has devastating environmental consequences, and some estimates state that it costs $6 million a year to fight it. It kills or damages plants by smothering them, by breaking their branches. It can even unearth trees. In fact, it's earned the nickname, the vine that ate the South. And that's exactly what man's wisdom looks like. It's like mental kudzu. It starts out as something, uh, maybe you think you can control it. You may even think it's helping you at first, but it quickly gets out of control and it takes over everything in its path. It's destructive and the cost is high to try to get rid of it. You can mow it back, but sometimes it just grows back stronger. It seems like a really good idea at the time. You see, man's wisdom that James is describing here promotes self-assurance and independence from God. It destroys uh, mutual concern for others. When Christians look out for only themselves, instead of caring for each other, a community of love and support disintegrates into selfish living. And whenever people have tried to construct their lives on the foundation of man's wisdom, they have always failed and ended up discouraged, defeated, and disappointed. So how are you feeling so far? Not great, right? But James next describes the right way of wisdom, godly, true, heavenly wisdom from above. And remember, wisdom forms our decisions that determines our destiny. You see, the decisions we make today are either from man or God, and they help to form the destiny of our lives. Do you remember James' original question from verse 13? Who is wise and understanding among you? Well, the wise and understanding have a life that reflects the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man. So let's look at the right way of wisdom in contrast to the wrong way of wisdom. And we'll see this in point number three in verses 17 and 18, the right way of wisdom. Now, James here, he turns a corner, right? And as I said, instead of looking at man's false wisdom, we see God's true wisdom. And true wisdom is found in Christ and therefore displays the characteristics of Christ. You see, true wisdom is free from self-interest and strife. And James gives us a list of characteristics of godly wisdom. 
right? The supply of God's wisdom never runs out. It's continually from above. Let's look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, partial and impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, at first, that list can seem a little overwhelming, can it? There's seven main things listed here, and they have some things in common. And I think one of those things that these all seven of these have in common is that none of them describe things that we have without God, right? They're things we don't just naturally have, but things that we need to pursue. And so we see the characteristics here of godly wisdom in verse 17. And the first one is purity, and it describes the foundation of God's wisdom. So godly wisdom is first pure. In other words, it overcomes sin. And purity is listed first because God's wisdom, like his nature, is based on his holiness. This is referring to spiritual integrity and moral sincerity. There's no ulterior motives in God's wisdom. It's transparent. It's clean. And those with true wisdom are pure in that they've put aside self-seeking and selfishness. And how James does this, these next five show an attitude of God's wisdom towards others. So we see purity first, and then next, number two, godly wisdom is also peaceable, right? It overcomes strife. Man's wisdom leads to what? Things like competition and, and rivalry. But godly wisdom demonstrates a desire to promote peace with others. And true peace is always the outgrowth of purity, right? A lack of purity leads to a lack of peace. You see, peace cannot occur when sins are being swept under the rug and just maybe pretending that they're not there. Man's wisdom says, cover up sin, uh, have false harmony. But God's wisdom says to confess sin and to have peace with God. So next, number three, God's wisdom is also gentle, right? It, it overcomes unkindness. God's wisdom submits to, to difficulty and mistreatment with an attitude of kindness and patience and humility without any thought of hatred or revenge. That's godly wisdom. The gentle person does not deliberately pick fights, but they also don't compromise the truth just to keep a false peace. Gentleness is the characteristic of servants. Like Jesus, Paul in 2 Corinthians 10.1 describes Jesus as the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. Godly wisdom is not weak, but it's rather strong and gentle at the same time. Carl Sandburg once described Abraham Lincoln as velvet steel. That's a great description of gentleness. Another thing, number four, um, godly wisdom is also open to reason. It overcomes stubbornness. You see, true wisdom describes someone who is teachable and is defined by obedience to God's standards. They're agreeable and they're, they're easy to live and work with. Man's wisdom, on the other hand, is stubborn and, and difficult. But with God's wisdom, you can disagree without becoming disagreeable. There's this willingness to take instruction and to learn from others in humility. A fifth thing here is that godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. In other words, it overcomes cruelty. Right? To be full of something is to be controlled by it. And God's wisdom is controlled by mercy and good fruits. True wisdom leads to showing concern for others and the ability to forgive quickly, just like Christ did. It's revealing compassion to those in distress when we can gain nothing from it and we know we're not going to get paid back. See, God's wisdom is demonstrated by our behavior in word and action. Those who are faithful to God's wisdom 
are fruitful in life. They show mercy. So then there's two more, and these last two traits describe really the essential nature of wisdom in itself. And it's really the sixth in the list that it is impartial, right? Godly wisdom overcomes favoritism. This denotes this consistent, unwavering person who's undivided in conviction and does not make unfair distinctions. Godly wisdom, with godly wisdom, there's, uh, there's no circumstances that alter the position a person takes. And there's one last one, number seven, godly wisdom is sincere. It overcomes hypocrisy. True wisdom is sincere, it's genuine. It's open in how it relates to others. This person is not phony, but, but they're real and they represent themselves accurately. Now that's a big list, right? And maybe as you've been listening through those and reading through those, naturally these things are not us, right? We need to be changed by the grace of God. We need Jesus to change us because we can't do this on our own. And that's the heart of the gospel. And we move on here to verse 18, which concludes this section with a description of the effects of true wisdom. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So we see here in verse 18, there's really two consequences of godly wisdom listed, righteousness and peace. And that's what we see, true wisdom, godly wisdom results in a harvest of righteousness that leads to peace. It bears good fruit that is righteous. True wisdom lets us experience true peace and the enjoyment of harmony in a relationship between others. Righteousness comes from an environment of spiritual peace. That's what peacemakers do. People with godly wisdom, they sow and harvest righteousness in peace. You see, righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of bitterness and selfishness in man's wisdom. Righteousness only grows in a climate of peace. And that's exactly what Paul describes in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, where he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So when we obey God's wisdom, we sow righteousness and peace, not disorder and vile practice, right? That's what man's wisdom ultimately led to. Wisdom forms our decisions that determines our destiny. And it really is simple, isn't it? Worldly wisdom produces worldly results, and godly wisdom produces godly results. Wrong thinking produces wrong living. One thing very naturally leads to the next. So man's wisdom Uh, False wisdom is defined by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, and that leads to disorder and every vile practice. But on the other hand, God's wisdom, true wisdom, heavenly wisdom, is defined by being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And what does that lead to? Well, it leads to a harvest of righteousness that's sown in peace. And so I think the question really is, what kind of destiny do we want? You see, small decisions that we make every day lead us to one of these destinies of our lives, either disorder and every vile practice or a harvest of righteousness that's sown in peace. And this passage does an incredible job. It clearly evaluates godly wisdom versus man's wisdom. But you might be thinking, how do I get it? Well, I want us to end our time here with four things that help us to pursue godly wisdom, four applications I think we can make that will help us to have 
godly wisdom. And the first thing is this. We need to know God to have godly wisdom. We can't have godly wisdom without a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. The first step in, in genuine wisdom is to know God. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, we're separated from God due to our sin, but Jesus came and died in our place. And when we put our faith in him alone, we are saved and we have a relationship with him and we have the ability to make godly decisions and have godly wisdom. You know, a second thing is that we need to pray for wisdom. James 1.5 says this, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without without reproach, and it will be given him. So if you don't have godly wisdom, a great place to start is by praying that God would give it to you. And in this verse, God promises to give it to us when we ask. So we need to know God to have godly wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom. A third application is we need to seek godly influences. You know, we make better decisions when we're surrounded by God's word and God's people. Um, And that can be hard to do in today's world, can't it? But I want to encourage you to take a step today. Maybe it could be something as simple as calling or texting someone that you see having godly wisdom in their life. Of course, no one's perfect, but start spending time with people who display these characteristics that we've talked about today from James 3. Begin spending regular time with God in his word. Uh, We have Bible studies going on now. Uh, We have missional communities that meet so that we can live on mission together with one another. Um, A discipleship experience called Rooted is starting this fall. You can sign up for that. But the bottom line is the more you surround yourself with God's word and God's people, the more you will have godly wisdom. And there's one last application I want to talk about, and that's number four. We need to stop trying harder. And I know that might seem counterintuitive, but you don't need to try harder. You need to surrender more fully to Jesus. Let me say that again. You don't need to try harder. You need to surrender more fully to Jesus every day, just moment by moment. Right? We don't need to try harder. We need to train more wisely. It's like if you were training for a marathon or a half marathon or a 5K or uh, just, just maybe training to, to, to walk a certain distance. Right? That's something I think we can relate to. But if something like a marathon, you don't just try really hard the first day to run the full 26 miles. Right? You don't just try really hard. What do you do? Instead, you train more wisely. You eat healthy, you run smaller amounts first and build up eventually to that full amount. You talk to others who have run races like that before. And I like to think of it uh, like a kid's toy, right? In our lives, we try really, really hard to stop bitter jealousy, right? But it pops out, doesn't it? And so what do we do? Well, we try to suppress that. So we, we shove that back down in. We try really hard, but what happens next is Something else pops out, right? Selfish ambition pops out. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try really hard to suppress that, and there's anger. And so we spend our whole life trying to mask these symptoms of man's wisdom. And we judge each other on how well we can hide our sin. So walking with Jesus stops becoming the goal, and how well we can hide our sin becomes this new goal. And we know deep down that we should 
we should choose the way of God's wisdom, yet we don't have the power in ourselves to do it. We can't simply choose the way of God's wisdom in our own strength, right? We can't just try harder. We've got to surrender more fully to Jesus. And by God's grace, God's wisdom comes down to us in Jesus when we surrender our lives more fully to him, moment by moment, day by day. So it's not about trying harder. It's about more fully surrendering to Jesus. You see, wisdom forms our decisions that determines our destiny. And today we've seen man's wisdom or God's wisdom. And I want to encourage us, what steps do we need to take today that will help form our destiny on the foundation of Jesus? And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come before you just so thankful for this passage, Lord. Um, we do pray for godly wisdom. Lord, we pray that we would be more fully surrendered to you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, we pray for, for righteousness, uh, for peace that comes only from you. And Lord, we pray that we would make godly decisions um, that would help determine the destiny of our lives that would be pleasing to you. And God, we do love you and thank you again so much for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces, making much of Jesus every day to everyone.